This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. As you know by now, Hamilton lost out on the bid to play host to Amazon's new headquarters. There's one in Seattle. They're going to build one $5 billion investment. Not great news for Hamilton. The great hope was that this was going to somehow, the Hail Mary was somehow going to land because this would have been a transformational development for this city. However, Amazon received 238 proposals from across North America, so it was a long shot still. Uh, It doesn't mean, however, that all the news in this area is bad. Uh, Not at all. Burlington is still in the mix. That city is part of the Toronto bid that got the thumbs up to be one of the final 20. And someone who I am quite sure is very happy about this news is Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring, who joins me now. Mr. Mayor, congratulations. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Uh, It is good news that we're still in the running. Uh, Toronto Global is still in the running. There are 10 sites that Toronto Global has put forward, and Burlington has one of those sites. So we're we're very, very pleased. And I think Hamilton should be pleased, too, because if by chance Burlington ever ever won that bid, um, boy, oh boy, the benefits to Hamilton would spill over in a significant way from Burlington. So um, I think this is still great opportunity for the whole Bay Area and the whole greater Toronto Hamilton area for that matter. Well, let's before we get into the details of this, let's touch on that for just one second because obviously there are people who would love to know how because we've heard that that this would help Hamilton, this would help everywhere around here. How would you see this spilling out and really positively affecting the entire region? Besides Toronto, we know about Toronto because they're the head of this bid. Well, I think if if uh, there, there's no way we have 50,000 uh, workforce in Burlington that could that could fill the Amazon need, there'd have to be people c- come from many different communities, and Hamilton would obviously feed into that in a significant way. So I, I would be convinced that if uh, it happened and it didn't happen in Burlington, that Hamilton would benefit in a significant way because of the Hamilton residents that would get jobs in in Amazon in Burlington. And also the economic ripple effect of Amazon investing $5 billion, um, you know, Hamilton would benefit greatly. There'd be Hamilton contractors and Hamilton suppliers uh, that would get benefit. And I think we do have to look at this from a regional point of view, and not just Hamilton, Burlington, but the whole greater Toronto area. And if, even if it went to downtown Toronto, uh, benefits would spell out to the whole region. So this, this is good news. This is very good news for all of us. There was, certainly here, uh, there was so much attention on Hamilton's bid that to a lot of people, your involvement in this kind of slipped through the cracks. At first I was thinking today, I'll be honest, I was thinking somehow maybe I kind of had missed this and I was alone. And then I asked a bunch of people and they said, no, I didn't know Burlington was actually part of the Toronto bid. So explain if you can. Well, we were part of both bids, actually, Scott. We were part of both bids. So Mayor Eisenberger reached out to me and said that they were looking at at the, the Amazon opportunity as a greater Bay Area opportunity and would the city of Burlington contribute to it? And I said, absolutely. So I guess, you know, we had a foot in both camps. We would have been uh, probably more thrilled or equally thrilled if Hamilton uh, was on the final 20 list as well. So, um, yeah, we're, as I say, this, this, has, this has potential benefits for the whole region. What would be, as far as you know right now from, from, I mean, I don't know how far along the process is, but if Toronto, the Toronto bid was to win this, what would be Burlington's role in this? Well, as I mentioned, there are 10 sites that have been put forward 
to Toronto Global. And, that are, and Toronto Global, I'm, I'm looking at the bid package online now as I'm talking to you, and Toronto Global put forward the bid package, and it, and it highlights all the great things about the greater Toronto area, the higher levels of education, the quality of life, uh, the transportation networks, the infrastructure networks, and so on and so forth. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the, the bid package, there is a, an extensive review of the 10 different sites, of which three of them are in Halton region. So there's Burlington, Oakville, and Milton that have sites. Uh, there is Ajax and Pickering on the east end. Uh, there is Branson and Mississauga. There is, there is Vaughan and Markham, uh, as well as downtown Toronto. And is the so, idea then that if, if this bid was to happen, all of those sites would get a building or would get some kind of workforce put there? I don't believe that. No, I, I, no. I, I, they are looking for a singular site um, that would, I, I, my understanding, that would uh, host up to fifty thousand people. And we happen to have a site that uh, would would do that. You know, very very close to Brownie Creek Provincial Park, a kilometer and a half away from the Appleby Co Station, uh, close to many amenities, close to uh, you know, close to uh, the, the QEW four hundred three four hundred seven. Uh, close to Toronto Airport and uh, close to Hamilton Airport as well. So you can anticipate, you know, the benefits of a west end of the GTA uh, bid being successful, the, you know, the transportation benefits as far as the logistic firms uh, in Hamilton uh, would benefit greatly. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Continuing our conversation with Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring about the good news for Burlington today that they, as part of the Toronto bid for the second Amazon headquarters, are still in the running. Uh, and Mr. Mayor, it was um, Hamilton put in the number that it was given out was four hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars was the cost of the bid from Hamilton. Two hundred and fifty thousand of that came from the city. The rest was privately raised. How much did Burlington spend to get involved in this? Uh, Twenty-five thousand. That's a that's a pretty good uh, lottery ticket then if this thing pans out. Oh, absolutely. So that's yeah, so uh, that's what we invested into the Hamilton bid was $25,000 and as far as the uh the Toronto Global bid, uh, you know, that's we're we're part of Toronto Global being part of the the greater Toronto area um that Toronto Global looked after that, as my understanding. We did not put any money in specifically for Toronto Global, but we did put in money um, for Hamilton's bid. Well, if the Toronto Global thing works out, then it's even a better lottery ticket. It's the it's the Christmas the ticket you get at Christmas from your aunt, and it turns out to be the winner. That's pretty good. You know, it's like you know to go down from 280 sites or so down to 20 locations. Uh, yeah, it, it is great news, and uh, you know I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we've got a good shot of this being the Greater Toronto. Um, area and recognizing that you know big companies like Microsoft and Google, uh, they're not located in the downtowns of, of of cities. They're located in suburban locations, and so I look at the sites that are in the uh, Toronto Global bid. Uh, I think Burlington uh, is very attractive compared to all the other sites, but we'll have to wait and see. The reports that we got today was that now that they've whittled it down, that they will be in touch. Amazon is now going to be in touch with the cities looking for a more in-depth study. Do you know anything about that process? Are you involved in that, or does that just go to Mayor Tory? Or how does it work now from here, or do you even know at this point? Uh, I don't know at this point. It's still very early. Uh, Toronto Global is, is heading up the bid. Uh, the chair is Mark Cohen, and he's sort of the re- representative of, the, of Toronto Global. Um, I do know that if uh, Amazon uh, ends up uh, taking a hard look at 
Halton region, Burlington specifically, both uh, Chair Gary Carr and myself would, uh, I'm sure, be involved in that, but that is all yet to be determined. Certainly the economic development folks at the Burlington Economic Development Corporation and at the region of Halton uh, would be involved in a very meaningful way as Amazon drills down and studies the sites in, in much more detail. The feeling through this process here in Hamilton was, and I said this when I was bringing you in right at the very top of the segment, uh, that winning, if they could somehow have managed to get that golden ticket and bring Amazon here, it would have been truly transformational for the city of Hamilton with the the well-paid workers, the, the thousands of those, the injection of taxes that come from that, the building projects. Uh, all those things, all the, everything that is involved with it be ma- would be massive. What would it mean to Burlington if it was to land there? Well, similar. I mean, similar. Obviously, it, it, would, it would certainly put us on the map. Um, but I do want to emphasize the regional nature of this because sure. 50,000 employees, they're not all going to live in Burlington if it came to Burlington. You know, many would want to live in Hamilton because of what's going on in Hamilton and how Hamilton has really got this vibe going on, which is very positive, that would be attractive to a number of people. It would be, it would be good for Milton and their housing. It would be good for Oakville as well. Uh, it would be good for the whole area, but for Burlington specifically, it would certainly be a shot in the arm uh, that would uh, force us very quickly to improve our transit system in a dramatic way, which would benefit uh, the whole community. Um, you know, we're going to have eventually within seven years, 15-minute all-day GO train service um, on the Lakeshore GO West line, uh, which is obviously an attractive feature, and that would lead into um, a tremendous expansion to Burlington Transit as well. So uh, it would be a shot in the arm for tax dollars, uh, be a shot in the arm for amenities and prosperity and job creation. Um, the benefits are endless. And you touch on the things that would have to be improved, and transit is one you mentioned, but you would also, with those tax dollars that would come in and with those thousands of people, that would be something that presumably at that point, if not affordable, would be a lot more affordable for a municipality. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If you knew that there was going to be that many employees coming to a certain area, you would have no choice but to invest significant dollars in, in, in transit. And I know that we wouldn't be on our own. Uh, this would cert- there would certainly be a lot of provincial and federal money involved as well uh, to help really give us a 21st century transit system. Just before I let you go, uh, there is a chance, of course, it's still a 1 in 20 chance. There is a chance you don't end up winning this thing. Can you, even if it doesn't happen, can you take being in this final 20 and legitimately spin this into something very positive to other companies and say, look, Amazon seemed to like us well enough to be in the final group. Is this something that you can use, win or lose, to help the area? Oh, oh, I believe so. You know, I believe so. You know, there's lots of interest in the city of Burlington right now uh, with regard to our official plan and and the work that we're doing and, and planning sort of new, complete, compact neighborhoods uh, in the vicinity of our GO stations and the interest from commercial realtors about the, along the GO line, development along the GO line and in the areas around our GO stations is quite significant right now. And uh, so that's already happening. And uh, certainly recognizing that uh, making the short list for Amazon, I believe we can leverage that in the same way, no question. Mayor Rick Goldring, again, congratulations. I, I sincerely hope this thing goes in a positive direction. It'll be terrific for this whole area, as you've mentioned a number of times. Really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. That is, uh, that, I mean, that is great news. And as the mayor said several times there, this is not just a Burlington thing. If it landed in Burlington, think of all the people who have to buy houses, who live elsewhere. 50,000 people. 50,000 people 
That is a massive injection into the air. And it's that reason that even though today a lot of people I've been hearing have been dumping on the idea that Hamilton put this bid in. Come on, it was Hamilton. Hamilton was never getting it. Why did we spend half a million bucks? That's half a million bucks is half a million bucks. I'm with you on that part. But if this somehow had landed, if it somehow had come, and I don't say this with every corporation or every company because not everyone is talking about $5 billion of construction and then 50,000 high-paid employees. To me, it was worth the shot. In this particular case, it was worth taking the shot. Not every time. This one was worth taking the shot. But I'd love to hear from you if you agree or disagree. Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900CHML. New polls are out for the Ontario provincial election. Early polls, obviously. The election is not yet for a number of months, many months in fact. But Forum, Ipsos, Campaign Research, Innovative Research, all are showing that Kathleen Wynne's Liberals are behind. Different degrees of behind. Forum has the gap at roughly 20 points. That's a huge gap to overcome. Campaign research has it almost tied. The Tories just up by a hair. So some of these polls are suggesting that Kathleen Wynne is heading for a thrashing when the election rolls around. And that's what a lot of people have predicted after many years in power. That's often what happens to to governments. But do you believe them? Do you believe these polls? Heaven knows polls haven't always been right. Correct, Hillary Clinton? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, polls are not always accurate. One guy who has some doubts about this, or at least cautions against putting too much stock in this, is a colleague of mine from up the road at uh, Global News Radio AM 640 in Toronto. He's the morning guy there. Matt Gurney, who joins me now. Matt, how are you tonight? I am great. How are you? I am wonderful, thank you. Thanks for joining me. I know you work mornings. You're probably usually in bed by now. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you I'm in my pajamas, <laughs> but I'm not going to not tell you that either. Uh, You wrote a great piece online yesterday, which is why I wanted to have you on, uh, suggesting that while the Liberals, based on these polls and based on all the years in power and how unpopular they are in some corners, that they should lose, they might not. The title of it, the, the headline was, Kathleen Wynne's Liberals may surprise in the upcoming provincial vote. And you wrote this, I think the politics here are shaping up for the Liberals in a way much better than their critics might think. Why do you think that, Matt? I mean, at the very least, they're making smart moves. And it's funny, I, I've spent the last couple of days, I mean, this is always the plight of the columnist, I suppose, but for the last couple of days, I've been getting a whole lot of tweets and emails from people who clearly did not read beyond the headline, um, because as, as you'll know, having read the piece, having invested the two minutes required, <laughs> like, you'll, you'll note that uh, I, I have some very strong words for the Ontario Liberal Party including acknowledging that I wouldn't even be allowed to print all that I wanted to say about the Ontario Liberal Party. I mean, the, the, sh- the short of it is that this is a, uh, a party that has been in power too long. It's arrogant. It's out of touch. It is uh, you know, consumed by, to, to far too great a degree, on covering its own butt politically rather than actually doing good things for the voters. And the thing that I really can never get over for them is that a lot of the decisions they've made economically in terms of policy, uh, the, the hydro plan that they came out with that basically you know, re, you know, re, refinanced the mortgage on all of our hydro assets, what they are doing, Scott, I don't need to explain this to you, but just so the listeners understand this, they are taking away my ability as a parent to pay for the things that I'm actually consuming today. The electricity, the, the government services, they are 
forcing my kids to pay for it 20 or 30 years from now. And I will, I, I cannot tell you how angry that makes me because you'd have to dump the call. I would slip into profanity without meaning to. So here's the thing, though. So like, don't ever confuse me as someone who's a fan of the Ontario Liberals. But over the last few months, they have been making smart moves. And I think people uh, are often blinded by their dislike of, of Kathleen Wynne because, you know, she's unapologetically progressive on some issue that they find polarizing or they're very angry about the gas plants or the, their hydro bill or, you know, the list goes on and on. You don't need to get into the weeds of the specifics to understand that a lot of people don't like Kathleen Wynne, but there are a lot of people out there, you don't have to like them. You don't have to agree with their policies. You don't have to think their policies are any good to recognize that they are good at the job of politics. She is a professional politician and very good at it. Yes, and very good at it. I don't think people realize this. Now, you know, it's, it's coincidence. It's not relevant to the column, but I just mentioned this, that, you know, Kathleen Wynne actually is my MPP. I live in her riding, and I, I see her, I don't know, a couple times a year at events in the community, and I leave her alone. I never show up and pop a recorder in her face or anything. I mean, normally I'm out with my kids at these things anyway, so I'm not on duty, but she works a crowd really well. And people who are only exposed to Kathleen Wynne through the headlines or through clips of interviews they hear on the radio or see online or on TV, I don't think they can appreciate her raw... I don't know if I want to use the word charisma, but let's just say she knows how to read people, and she's very good at the handshake part of politics. Well, and, and, and Matt, there's... when you bring that out. There's one other thing, though, that she does exceptionally well, and lots of politicians have done this, especially as we get closer and closer to elections. People love free stuff, or at least stuff they perceive to be free, and we yep. have seen a lot of free stuff already. We're not even in the home stretch, and we are seeing... Again, not for everybody, but a lot of what for some people would be either new stuff or stuff that's been moved to them from redistribution from other people. People love that kind of thing, even though they may realize down the road they got to pay for it. Right now, it's fantastic. We've got three recent examples of that, and you know there there would be more if we if we wanted to sink a lot of time into talking about it. But the three recent big ones are, of course, a minimum wage hike, with of course another one to come in in, under a year from now, another buck to the uh, the bottom line for minimum wage workers. There is the one I've already mentioned, which was the change to Ontario's hydro plans, where we you know basically board a bunch of money to lower rates today. But, you know, about 15 years from now, we're going to start having to pay that back, and it's going to cost us more than it would have before. Just, you know, just in time for my kids to be moving out to get their first place, the cost of hydro in this province is going to start going up again. So thanks a, a ton for that one, Madame Premier. And the other one, uh, which is not getting a ton of attention, but it's going to make a huge difference for a lot of people, is the so-called OHIP Plus, which is basically pharmacare for those 24 and under, if I recall specifically. And, you know, as, as you know, Scott, I think you're, you're, you're smart to note this. This is the stuff that's been rolled out with at least six months still to go. So what do they have coming up? I don't know. I don't pretend to have that inside knowledge. And if anyone has any and they'd like to email me, I'd love to read it. But in the meantime, you've got to figure that the Ontario Liberals, they've got a knack for self-preservation. They hold all the levers of power right now. They are behind in the polls, probably, and they know it they're going to come out with something they're going to try to roll out and it will be as always goodies for many paid for either by the few or simply by racking up more debt on the provincial tab you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 chml continuing with matt gurney from am 640 down the road in toronto who wrote a piece online kathleen wins liberals may surprise 
in the upcoming provincial vote. And Matt, while the Liberals, all by all these polls are showing, not only are they way down, but Kathleen Wynne, despite what you say, and I agree with you that when she's in person, when she's working a crowd, she's very good at it, but her personal popularity numbers are very low across this province. There was a columnist in the Toronto Star last week, I believe, who wrote a piece chalking up that dislike of Kathleen Wynne, at least in part to sexism, and then he doubled down on it again this week and said, yes, it really is. Any chance that Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals are disliked right now because she is a female leader? No. And, you know, well, I mean, in individual cases, well, sure, yeah. I mean, obviously, look, there will be people out there who won't like her because she's a woman. And, Scott, let's acknowledge the other thing here. I mean, I'm not obsessed about this in my politics, but Kathleen Wynne, God bless her, is also an openly gay woman. So there will be people out there who will dislike her for that as well. But I think, you know, these isolated examples of prejudice and bigotry aside, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Kathleen Wynne back in 2014 took a party from, you know, again, similarly hobbled in the polls, and, you know, won a majority victory. Mm-hmm. And, look, I mean, do, do we all have to like the Premier? I actually really have no personal feelings about her whatsoever, except kind of a, a generic warmth from the times I've seen her work a crowd in public. Um, but I'm, I'm not strongly personally invested either way. But I would, I would just say to you, you know, are there people in this province who will uh, have uh, sexist or homophobic prejudices against the Premier? Absolutely. That dis- it's disgusting. There's no place for that in my worldview, and hopefully not in Ontario politics. But we are not any more, at least not substantively more, homophobic or sexist than we were all of three and a half years ago. So I, I am aware of those Toronto columns that you are referencing. Um, I found the argument unpersuasive, and I think you know we can we can acknowledge that there is prejudice in, in politics and in our society without trying to construct too sweeping a narrative about this. If Kathleen Wynne was having problems entirely because she was a woman, or or again because she was gay, then I think those would have shown up in 2014 as well. Maybe there are, maybe there is some subset of the electorate that would never vote for a woman, a, a gay, a, a homosexual, or in this case both. I don't rule that out, but guess what? In Ontario, we have shown for a fact you can win a majority government while being an openly gay woman. You mentioned, and again, I want to go back to the point, that they may surprise in the upcoming provincial vote. You you mentioned it exactly. Three and a half years ago, they were in a similar, not exactly similar, but a similar position, and she came back and won. I guess the difference I would wonder about this time is, What's that old line about fool me once? And there are people who said, okay, you know what? I'm going to vote for them again. I'm going to give them another chance because I don't really trust or like the other alternatives. Can that work a second time? Can can people actually be persuaded to do it a second time after? Because the, the lack of popularity is stronger now than it was even the first time she convinced them to go back. Oh, yeah. Look, for what it's worth, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy writing the somewhat contrarian column here. And, you know, I mean, the headline says it all. The Ontario Liberals might surprise. The fine print, so to speak, though, in the column, I mean, I, I, I put my... I put my views out there. I would be surprised if Kathleen wins. I would not be shocked if Kathleen wins. And I think that's, I think that's a difference. I think thus far the Ontario progressive conservatives are doing smart things. I think that uh, Patrick Brown, although still a relative unknown, and although there still might be a few surprises that uh, could come out and do some damage to him, I think in general thus far he has done about what he needs to do. He hasn't done a ton yet, I think, as opposition leader, but the things he's done, I think, have generally been smart and have shown good instincts. And Andrea Horwath, uh, look, I don't think she has any realistic chance of becoming the premier, at least not based on where we're standing today, but she's an effective campaigner, right? So it looks like Kathleen Wynne is going to be leading an even 
more unpopular and tired government into an election with a credible and competent third-party challenger on one side and an invigorated and reasonably competent conservative challenger on the other. I, I, I don't like her odds, but ultimately... If there's one, like there's a few things in life, Scott, that I always feel that you can bank on. Most things in life you can't. You've got to take them as they come. One thing I think you can always bank on, though, is the flakiness of the Ontario voter. Like we get weirded out at the last minute about really, really strange things, and we stampede over to uh, what we view to be the safest choice. You know, look, honestly, this is me projecting my own politics there, so I declare that for the listener here. I am astonished the Liberals won in 2014. I would be somewhat less astonished if in 2018, I guess because I'm more jaded. But also, let's just acknowledge an objective reality here. Let's stop talking about the policies. Let's stop talking about the leaders. Let's stop talking about the politics of this all. How likely is it that any government will be reelected after 15 consecutive years in power? It's possible. We've seen it happen. Look at our friends in Alberta. Two generations, basically, of conservative rule out there. But the norm in Canadian politics is for cycles that are shorter than this, if nothing else, the Ontario Liberals are statistically overdue for a defeat. Matt, we've got 30 seconds left. I know you can do 30 seconds as good as anyone. This is ultimately, as is every case in Ontario, going to be elected by Toronto. When we turn on the TV news at night, that night of the election, and look at the map, it's either going to be a red blob where Toronto is and a Liberal government again or not. And that is is really, I mean, it comes down to you're down in Toronto. Is, is there any sense in the city that they are not going to vote Liberal again? Because really, that's where it's going to be decided. People aren't talking about it much yet, which is not me attempting to dodge the question. People simply aren't talking about it much yet. People are talking much more about federal politics. I'm going to say this, though. It's not just Toronto anymore. People shouldn't forget that there are more 905ers than there are 416ers. The population is tipped. The Conservatives, I know, are going to focus heavily on those 905 ridings. If they do well there, they keep their traditional uh, strong spots. And if they do well in some of the smaller cities in Ontario, the Conservatives can put together a path to victory that does not need the city of Toronto itself. It ain't easy to do it without Toronto, but if they do well in the 905, it's possible. So the Liberals are going to try and defend Toronto and push out everywhere else. The Tories are going to do the opposite. I don't know, but I did write a column this week saying, hey, anything can happen. Matt Gurney, you can hear him on AM 640, 5.30 to 9 a.m. every single weekday. Matt, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. Take talk to you soon. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Life is not always fair. Let's put that right out there. You know that already. There's a guy we've had on this show a number of times. If you are a regular listener, you've heard him before. His name is Roger Boyd. You may remember him because he runs something called Hamilton Men's Ministry. Hands out clothing and soup and food to people downtown. He was out on Christmas morning when everyone else was opening their gifts. He and his crew were downtown looking after the guys who were downtown. Well, last night, he wake or this morning, I guess, he wakes up at his home and the truck that he uses to pull the trailer down there to do all of his work, stolen out of his driveway. Uh, Roger, this kind of stinks. Yes. How are you, Scott? I'm, I'm, well, I'm okay. This kind of stinks for you, though. This is uh, not a nice way to wake up and find out the good works you're doing or handicapped or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I was uh, quite surprised uh, when my wife went outside to go to work this morning. She yelled up and said, your truck's gone. And I go, what? And, uh, yeah, uh, disbelief uh, to my eyes that, uh, 
my truck is missing out of my driveway. And uh, my first reaction is, is, are you kidding me? Somebody stole Jesus's truck, <laughs> in, you know? And, uh, but, you know, the initial shock, I just, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, so I came in, you know, I did what I'm supposed to do. I, I called the police and reported it and everything. And I just basically, uh, I said to myself, you know, and I put it on my Facebook page, which my Facebook followers and the people that follow my ministry are just incredible. I think I have 1,600 shares on Facebook. People were calling me from uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Island, Victoria today, uh, to wishing me well and, and prayers and everything. And, and my message is to my Facebook people and the people that follow me, don't pray for my truck. My truck's just an idol. You know what? We should be praying for the soul that stole my truck. You know, uh, God doesn't care about my truck. He just care, cares about his people. And that is my message. Don't worry about my truck because, you know what, it's just, it's just a thing. You know what we need to worry about is the people that I help. You know what? Satan may stole my truck out of my driveway, but he's not stealing God's ministry. I'll tell you that right now. If Satan, you're listening, you got a lot of work to do to to railway God's ministry because people on my Facebook page are calling me up and say, Raj, I'll be there with my truck Friday night. I'll be there with my truck there on Saturday to pull your trailer, to keep your ministry going. But that's what Isn't you that need, incredible? right? That's what this truck was for. This was to get your stuff downtown and to be able to help. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we bought the truck, my wife and I, it's our truck. We bought it for the trailer because uh, the SUV is not big enough to pull it. And so we bought it out of our own money. Uh, for our ministry. So it doesn't belong to our ministry or anything. It's our own personal vehicle. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. So what are you going to be doing? Like, are you able to go down? Would you be normally down there tonight? Or do you, or is this a night off? Or what, what, what are you going to be doing? It, yeah, it's a night off. Uh, we're going to be going out. Uh, we're going out tomorrow night. Uh, you know, somebody heard about uh, my truck being missing on social media. The guy came to my door uh this evening and said hey uh, i want to help i have a truck that uh, can pull a trailer uh i want to pull it i said okay you're the guy you can pull it uh friday night somebody else called me he's going to pull it saturday somebody's going to pull it on sunday people are in my community are like i said my community is uh, amazing there is such amazing support uh i try to rent a, a vehicle but i can't rent a truck uh believe it or not because when you rent a, a, a truck from a, a rental agency, you cannot pull a trailer with it. They have that uh, rule. So anyways, that's where I'm at. Uh, hopefully I can get things uh, settled up and uh, I can get myself another vehicle real soon. You mentioned today when I contacted you about this to come on tonight, I, I asked you if there was anything in the truck of any value. And what was your comment? There was one thing that was on the passenger seat that you were actually hoping the guy would have stolen. Yeah, it's it was the Bible that my lovely wife bought me uh, last year for Christmas, and uh, it's it goes with me everywhere. It's in my truck. Yeah, he's got my Bible, and you know, and I and I said, you know what? I I hope that he reads it. I really do. I hope he reads the Bible. If they, if that Bible was meant for him, I you know what? All the power to him. But uh, yeah, it's this, that's the only sentimental thing was my Bible that my wife bought me for Christmas. 
It is uh, it is unfortunate, although uh, who knows what good might come of this, Roger. But uh, if someone, uh, and I've given this out before, but if someone wants to help, and maybe not with a truck, maybe just with coats or food or to help out, how can yep. they reach you? How can they jump in and uh, be part of this now to help out? Sure. So you can email me at uh, menstreetministry, one word, at gmail.com, or you can call me at 905-929-3155, or you can drop stuff off at 178 Book Jans Drive, Ancaster. Roger, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, hopefully you have a new truck in the driveway soon and you're back at it at full speed. But uh, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Thank you, and thanks for having me, Scott. God bless you. Roger Boyd, again, if you want to help out, because the guy's doing great things. There are people downtown who need help, and he is the guy who's out there doing it, spending his own money, spending his own time, not getting paid back by anybody. 905-929-3155, that is the number you can call him directly, or drop stuff off at 178 Bookjans Road in Ancaster. Take advantage of it. We don't have all that many people who are doing this kind of stuff. We've got to encourage the people who are to keep at it. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who actually just got home from doing, I don't know how many hours here at 900 CHML. You just listened to him all day, Rick Zamprin. Uh, Rick, I know the answer to how many zeros there are in a quadrillion. It's how many zeros Johnny Manziel's agent wants his guy to play football in Hamilton this year. Uh, well, there's at least uh, five of them, uh, if if the figure is half a million. Yeah, that's uh, not the right answer, by the way, for the quiz question, but that <laughs> is for Johnny Manziel. No, yes, yeah. So there's at least five. Who knows how, how many more they want to add. Uh, the reason Rick is here and the reason... Now, for those who are regular listeners, you will recall that a few weeks ago I had put a lockdown, a blackout on Johnny Manziel mentions until something actually happened. Well, today... Johnny Menzel posts some stuff on Instagram, and it is him in the back of a limo, apparently late at night, rapping along with Chris Brown. Now we'll talk about that, whether that is of any real interest. More of interest to me is the idea that he also, on Twitter, decided that Money Manziel is coming back. That was the money sign he used to give when he scored a touchdown, which a lot of people thought Rick was kind of a a sign of immaturity and a sign of a bunch of different things. But this whole thing, when you put it together, and you've got Johnny Manziel, who has apparently convinced the CFL that he's a new and improved and mature and better version of Johnny Manziel in order to get permission, to be granted permission to come up and play here. Uh, Is this sending the message that that new and improved Johnny Manziel is in fact real, or is this sending the message that, no, it's the same guy? Uh, you know what? A leopard cannot change its spots. And I think in this case, Johnny Manziel just can't seem to get out of his own way. At least that's the indication with you know this latest post on social media and some of the things that he's insinuating, especially with the, the money Manziel, which, you know, some, some are a fan of. Here's a, you know, a hotshot uh, quarterback who has, uh, you know, all the talent in the world. And, you know, that, that's the way he expresses, you know, big plays. And, you know, other quarterbacks or other players have, you know, expressive um, <clears throat> signs or symbols or celebrations or whatever the case is. And that's all good and well. But, you know, given his history, given the past, given the fact that, you know, this, uh, let's face it, he's a reclamation project. Absolutely. He's, he's, a, he's an unproven commodity in terms of the Canadian Football League, certainly didn't really prove himself at the National Football League level, and was a superstar in, in uh, NCAA. But, I mean, there's a, a massive jump 
And you ask anybody who has made that jump from from the college and university ranks to the pro level, uh, and there's a, a variety of steps to that. And one of those steps is gaining that maturity, or at least gaining the understanding that you can't act like a university or, or even a high school athlete once you get to the pro level. You have to make that, uh, whether it's cognizant or not, that mental shift to say, all right, I have to be a professional now. I have to act a certain way. And not only that, I, I don't want to jeopardize the franchise that I'm playing for, the teammates that I'm playing alongside. Uh, so there's a lot of things that go into being a professional. And right now, Johnny Manziel has uh, a zero rating on the professional rankings. I just, I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking he went through the whole process. Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, made him, because of his background, essentially prove that he was going to behave. I, I, is there a better way to describe it as that? They wanted to make sure that the CFL wanted to make sure they weren't bringing a guy here who was going to make a giant mess of things. Yeah, no, perfect, perfect explanation. Here's a guy who has a checkered past and Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, had to sit him down and say, all right, here's... Here's the conditions that you have to meet. We don't know what those conditions or stipulations are, but obviously he has met them. Yeah, okay, but uh, he asked him, can you do it? I mean, I, we understand that's yes. the thing. Can you live with this? And apparently Johnny Menzel must have said yes because he got yes. the thumbs up. If you can sign a contract, you can play. And Correct. I just, I, I got to wonder what's going on at CFL head office. Again, there is nothing illegal. There is nothing inherently evil or whatever about posting a, an Instagram video. The funny thing about this or the odd thing about this, Rick, is I haven't seen him posting videos of being in the training room working out or being on the field throwing footballs or doing the stuff that you would say, okay, he's a new man. He wants to be that reclamation project and prove himself. These are the videos that he is deciding he is going to post here. It says something. I don't know what it says, but it says something about something. Optically, it looks horrendous, not only on the CFL, but as well, you know, the, the Tiger Cats who still have his uh, his uh, negotiation rights. And they have a, at least his agents has imposed a January 31st deadline, mm. although the Tiger Cats are not adhering to that. But as I said, optically, it looks bad because here's uh, an individual that the CFL has said, all right, we'll, we'll give you a chance. You are allowed to sign a contract with a team in our league. And the Tiger Cats have been in contract negotiations with his agent. If I'm in the Ticats front office or even in the CFL front office and I'm seeing him posting early morning or late night videos of him, uh, you know, lip syncing or rapping to, to Chris Brown's album, of all the albums he could have chose, that might be the worst one because of Brown's past with domestic violence. But not only that, but, you know, trying to sell his comeback season hoodies, the Money Manziel, it's just, it's it's a precursor to a recurring uh, uh, bad behavior, which we've seen before with, uh, you know, domestic violence incidents, uh, the, the, the party atmosphere, the party animal, the guy who is not a team player. And, hey, if, if the Ticats want to go to bed with a guy like that, uh, you know, um, <laughs> good luck to them. Because well, it, 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 it's, it, one day it's just going to blow up in their face. There's so many things I want to go to from here. The first thing is I have less concern with the choice of songs. I know some people have said it was Chris Brown and he has a background of domestic violence with Rihanna. You know, I was driving home the other day in my car playing some Beatles music, singing at the top of my lungs to Maxwell Silver Hammer, which is about a guy who clonks a woman over the head with a hammer and kills her. Right. I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily know that singing along with lyrics that, to songs we probably wouldn't write today says much. 
But let's go to the idea for a second of what you just said about the CFL and the Ticats, the Ticats especially, because they are still, it's in the rear view mirror now, but the Art Bryles thing happened last year. Most people have, I think, for the most part said, okay, ancient history. But if they sign Johnny Manziel, knowing what's going on, knowing what kind of guy he is, and he comes here, the Ticats, I think, have to be... They're putting everything PR-wise on the line that this guy is going to behave. Because how does it play if you pile now Johnny Manziel onto Art Bryles in the Ticat office? Well, it, it has the makings of a disaster because, yes, we know the Art Bryles story, but you know, let me paint a picture for you. Uh, you sign Johnny Manziel to uh, whatever your contract worth how many dollars, uh, you have now signified not only to the league, but to your fan base to say, we are willing to uh, live through this potential risk because we think the reward is going to outweigh the risk. Wasn't that really the uh, kind of scenario around Art Bryles? We're, we're willing to live through some of, uh, you know, potential backlash, which they clearly underestimated because we think he's still a good football coach and can help our football team. I, I really don't see you know, much difference between the two other than, you know, obviously the, the, the different backgrounds, but still coming from, uh, you know, beleaguered situations. And if, if Johnny Manziel blows up, you know, we, we had a guy on the fifth quarter last year. It was one of the, the last fifth quarters, uh, which is the postgame show after the Ticats play. And, and he was basically saying if they re-sign June Jones, who was one of the leading factors or people uh, behind the, the, the uh, hopeful signing of, of Art Bryles, if June Jones comes back, this person who's a season ticket holder for years, him and his wife, were not going to renew. So obviously they're off the table. But now uh, with Johnny Manziel and his past coming, how many more people are kind of uh, of the same kind of thinking to say, man, if they bring this guy in, you know, I'm not going to renew my season tickets. You know, this this guy's a joke, and he's going to turn our, our franchise into a joke. There's that sentiment out there, and if the Thai Cats have not heard from those people, I would be utterly shocked. What about the flip side, though? What about the fact that you could say? Infamy works as well as the opposite, and if we can get Johnny Manziel in here, even if we think there might be a problem, we're going to sell a million tickets, we're going to sell Johnny Manziel shirts, we're going to have people come into the stadium and buy beer, we got ESPN that's going to be coming up here to watch this, we're going to drive up TV ratings. Look, Johnny Manziel could come here and be a complete explosion. It's still, on the business side, it still works for us. 100 percent a thousand percent that that should be the thinking but kent austin who's still the vp of football operations has time and time again uh looked to the character of an individual and he has mentioned this numerous times when he's talking about either uh, a player that he has signed or a player that he's just uh, acquired via trade you know one of the uh, and it's one of many uh, you know, areas that they look at, you know, this this player that is arriving on our football team has to have high character. They have to matter in the locker room. They have to be respected. Uh, and with Manziel, you know, that, it's going to be a crapshoot. If he continues to act the way that he has acted in the past, uh, you know, that that's not going to fit that character mold because he is a guy who has not shown to be uh, a team player or a guy that other players can look up to and, 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 and be a mentor to. When I see this stuff and I see the, I don't know what the right word is. It, the thought that came to me today when I was looking at this, and I, this is probably not true, but this is the impression I got. It almost was that Johnny Manziel is trying to sabotage his own comeback. That he wants, that he's saying, I really want to come back. I really want to come back. But when your agent puts up 
crazy contract demands. And then the things that you're sending out publicly for public consumption fly in the face of everything that we've been told about him being a change man. It just seems to me, I don't know, there's something here that almost says he's trying to sabotage the whole thing before it starts. It's a good conspiracy theory. And and I would kind of buy into a little bit of that because the only thing I can think of is, you know, maybe he doesn't want to play Ian Hamilton, maybe because... Uh, you know, his agent uh, was allowed to at least seek some sort of trade with Montreal. They were kind of wooed by the Alouettes. And, and maybe the thinking is, hey, we'll ask for the moon. Uh, you know, Johnny, hey, act out a little bit. And maybe we'll, we'll kind of gain a little bit of leverage in terms of the Ticats trading Menzel to Montreal. That's really the only thing I can think of in that regard. Because, you know, here's a guy, let's face it, who wants to get back to the NFL. And the only way he's going to do it as if he reproves himself or or kind of proves to NFL GMs that he can still play and, maybe more importantly, be a good person and a good teammate. So I guess until we see that, he's not going to step foot in an NFL training camp, that's for sure. I'm not laughing at your suggestion. I think it's a, it's a very possible suggestion. What I was laughing at was just the thought as you said it. You know, we have Hess Village, but Montreal is not a party town at all. <laughs> Johnny Manziel would be just a monk when he went to Montreal. There's nothing to do there to get in trouble. Are there a few establishments on University Ave? Or uh, <laughs> I know they have uh, Montreal smoked meat sandwiches up the uh, up the wazoo. So I mean, other than gaining a little bit of weight, I'm not sure what he can do there. <laughs> what? Okay, so put yourself. You've been around the Thai Cats a lot. You've been around football a lot. You are, and you've talked to tons of people in front offices. You know Kent Austin well enough. You're sitting in a front office, you're a member of the Ticats brass right now, and you see this stuff, do you simply go, oh, that's just Johnny Manziel, he's just, you know, he's just having some fun, or do you have some hard swallows and a few gulps and some second thoughts thinking, "Mm, should we be going down this path? Is this really the best possible path for us? Which side are you on? Well, I'd be on the latter side, and I'll tell you why, uh, especially because, you know, this is the team that just signed uh, Jeremiah Masoli, just traded Zach Caleros. This is the team that has a starting quarterback, or at least a guy that they think can be a guy who can carry the load. Uh, they do have some up-and-comers, but I think they're still two or three years away from being, you know, effective quarterbacks, if at all still in the league, in the CFL and Everett Golston and Dane Evans. So, you know, they're kind of hanging their hat on Masoli. And here's a guy who, again, hasn't proven himself in the CFL. So the more bad publicity he provides um, before he signs a contract, the lower his stock is going to be via trade. So, you know, I'd be a voice in that front office, in the Ticats front office, to say, let's get something for him now. Let's trade him to Montreal, who, as we know, just dumped Darian Durant. Uh, let's trade him to Montreal. They still have to negotiate a contract with him, and let's get something for him and improve this football team. Because at the end of the day, they don't know if Manziel can improve this football team. And we all know it could go wrong in a hurry, and that would be the last thing that the Cats want to have happen. Let me ask you one more thing before I let you go. Let us say, let's play completely hypothetical here. Johnny Manziel signs with the Cats, comes to training camp, and he comes here and he is great. That he lives up to the billing that June Jones gave in the scouting report that he might be the best CFL player ever. Let's say that all happened, but he continued to be off the field Johnny Manziel as we've known him. Is that a good trade-off? Uh, I would say yes, because as long as you're winning football games, that means people are coming to the stadium, that means they're buying jerseys, that means you are winning championships if that's the case. 
Uh, I think it's a trade-off in terms of now. It obviously obviously depends on the seriousness of how he's doing, uh, you know, in in the public eye in terms of you know the seriousness of, of the shenanigans that he's going to get involved with. But I think if it, if it's just you know tweets or Instagram posts or these kind of things, you know, that's somewhat harmless, even though optically it looks horribly bad. But I think if they're winning games and he's just being a bad public citizen, I think they can live with that because you know, they lived with that in the past. Other teams have done so as well. And yeah, there's there's fans that uh, aren't uh, in favor of that. But I think winning cures all. And if you can come here and lead this team to a title, not all will be forgotten, but a, but a lot will be forgotten if he has some bumps and, and, and stumbles along the way. Can I be even more cynical than that and say that I think that would actually be the ideal thing if you're the Ticats, that he's great on the field but causes nothing horribly criminal but causes a little bit of a whatever off the field because now everybody you're winning games and everybody's talking about the tie cats and johnny manzel and all the american tmz and espn and all those things are still talking that to me uh, you know you will hear we want him to be a model citizen i'm not i'm not sure that as long as he's not doing anything that's considered a crime, I'm not sure that it's the worst thing in the world if he does create a little bit of a, a stink off the field and keep the conversation going. I would say publicly, they will say no. Hundred percent. Be that yeah, that model citizen. But you know, privately or behind closed doors, hey, if he's in the news, if he's drawing exactly. attention, good or bad, to our franchise, and we can benefit financially from that. Yeah, any team uh, in any league would want that because it's more eyeballs and more cash uh, in, in in the right column on the ledger. It's what they it's what they deal with you every day with your party <laughs> lifestyle here at CHML. Every day it's another story of Rick Zamperin running naked down Main Street, streaking gotta, again, again. I gotta tell you that that's that's a quarter of that is true. <laughs> <laughs> to the and best I of tell you which part. To the best of my knowledge, Rick Zamperin has never streaked. And never streak down Main Street, so let me clarify that just um, for anyone who's listening. If you saw a streaker on Main Street, it was not Rick Zamprin. I'll have to tell you a story off-air one time about uh, my exploits in the CHML newsroom. I can't wait to hear that. And by the way, uh, just so you know, you have uh, you have managed to incite one of our good friends. I've been getting texts through this whole conversation from Bubba O'Neill at CH <laughs> saying, get me on. He wants to come in and be part of this conversation. We couldn't <laughs> squeeze him in. I'm sure Bubba will be involved with a Johnny Manziel conversation sooner rather than later. Rick Zamprin, we will hear you tomorrow again, as always, spectacularly here on 900CHML. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Scott. It is, um, it is a conversation, well, let me back up. This is probably not the worst thing as far as what the Hamilton Ticats position is, that the conversation about Johnny Manziel does not go away. I tried. I said I was not going to talk about him until something happened, and we stuck to that, but something happened. And this is the interesting part about this. He finds a way to get himself into the news. He finds a way to get attention and very little of it actually has anything to do with football. What will be fascinating is if he ever does sign somewhere in the Canadian Football League, if he is able to live up even remotely to the early scouting reports and B, allow him to live in a way and perform and behave in a way off the field that allows him to stay in the league and in the country. And if he does... You'll be hearing an awful lot more about Johnny Manziel from all corners, I guarantee you. It won't just be here. As for right now, though, 
we once again lower the blanket on Johnny Manziel discussion until any other newsworthy event happens. Until then, though, we are in a Johnny Manziel free zone as of this very moment. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.